Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, August 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, members of the Mississippi House of Representatives are advancing a bill to create a lottery, hoping to get it to Governor Phil Bryant for his signature. We'll have the latest as the special session continues. I'm excited that we finally did something that the people have been asking us to do for years. Then we'll hear from Mima's chief on this 13th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina slamming into Mississippi's Gulf Coast. And from emergency preparedness to the future of the coast, we'll learn how big storms are affecting the Mississippi shoreline. After a Southern Remedy Health Minute, the Mississippi Commissioner of Higher Education speaks on his statewide listening tour. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. After much debate and a do-over vote, Mississippi is getting a lottery. MPB's Ashley Norwood reports. Members of the Mississippi House of Representatives are sending Senate Bill 2001 to Governor Phil Bryant for his signature. The bill to create a state lottery advanced by a narrow 58 to 55 House vote, even though the same bill was voted down by members the night before. The bill had already advanced out of the Senate. In all, eight representatives switched from no to yes votes, five Republicans and three Democrats. Republican Representative Tracy Arnold of Alcorn County says he voted no both times. It's just something that I can't support uh, being a pastor. However, I do see that our state has uh, infrastructure needs and, uh, you know, people are willing to surrender their money, which is not a tax in my opinion. And, uh, and if they're willing to do that, then maybe that will fit some of the needs of the people in our state. Some Democrats wanted more of the lottery proceeds to go to education funding. The measure says up to $80 million of annual lottery revenue will fund repairs to the state's roads and bridges for 10 years. If revenue exceeds $80 million, the difference will go to public education. The bill is named in honor of Democratic Representative Alice Clark of Hines County, a longtime proponent of a lottery. She says she hopes the bill will make a difference in education. I just hope that we will make sure that the portion of the bill that we say will go to education will go to education because there's nothing more important 
that make ensure that our children are properly educated. The special session continues today. Lawmakers are deciding how to allocate funds from a BP settlement. Ashley Norwood, MPB News. As a matter of fact, the Mississippi Senate is advancing a bill that would spell out how to spend the state's $750 million BP oil disaster settlement. The bill says 75% of the money will fund restoration projects in the southernmost six counties. The remaining 25% will be distributed statewide. Democratic Senator Willie Simmons of Bolivar County is co-author of the bill. Because of the tragedy that occurs on the Gulf Coast with Katrina and the BP disaster. So when you look at all of the monies that have been expended, then there is a legitimate question as to uh, how do you get more dollars coming out of the BP program into other parts of the state. The bill passed the Senate 42 to 8 last night. The House is expected to take it up today. Coming up, we'll hear from MEMA's chief on this 13th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina slamming into Mississippi's Gulf Coast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Your old car is kind of like that hairstyle you had in high school. Really cool back in the day. But that old car is still cool when you donate it to MPB Think Radio. Go to mpbonline.org for details. Then sit back and enjoy the ride. Now that's cool. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The new head of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency says it's his job to spread the word about disaster preparation. Thirteen years ago today, Hurricane Katrina blew ashore, devastating the Mississippi Gulf Coast and much of the southern part of the state. MEMA Director Greg Michelle tells us the past can teach important lessons. A number of events uh, along the coast, obviously, we'll be remembering the event today, but um, the big one that's going to be is at the Ground Zero Museum uh, in uh, Bay St. Louis this morning at 9 o'clock. And then the uh, governor and I will be doing a press conference this afternoon at 1 o'clock, and we'll be talking about storm preparation and just reminding everybody to just be always be vigilant and just be prepared for uh, weather and disasters and uh, being able to react to things in an appropriate manner. What was learned during Katrina that is helpful today in regard to response? Well, I think one of the big things is is you certainly, you never want to gamble on Mother Nature and you want to just be prepared. That was a monumental event. I think the biggest tragedy with any tragedy is to not learn uh, learn from them and get better at it. So um, that was an overwhelming event that this state came together and jailed very well uh, and recovered very quickly. We want to continue to be vigilant and be prepared to respond. And as the director of the emergency management agency, it's our job not only as an agency to be prepared to respond, but to make sure that we educate the public so that they have all the tools they need to respond appropriately. Because Katrina was so catastrophic and we have had hurricanes since then, nowhere near as serious, but still causing flooding and there have been evacuations and suggested evacuations. How do you keep people from becoming complacent? Because, well, it's not going to be as bad as Katrina, so it can't be that bad. Right. Well, complacency is is very key here. You continue to talk about it. You certainly don't want to just assume that people are are, are not going to respond the way they need to. But, you know, back to my comment uh, originally, weather can get bad very quickly. So you never want to gamble on that. So the, the, the best thing to do is to be prepared and respond in a manner, uh, plan worst case. And uh, the worst you're out of is, is a little bit of your time, a little gas, and, and leaving. And, and uh, that's really the main thing. Of course, you know, we talk about hurricanes. Um, that's just one of many other type of disasters that we can face here with tornadoes and flooding. Um, 
in a lot of cases can hit you very quickly and, and, and in a way that you can't prepare as effective as you can for a storm that you see coming. So just being vigilant. We just saw the 30-plus inches of rain in Hawaii and the devastating floods. I mean, just incredible flooding. And as you said, rain can cause that kind of situation that can be very dangerous. Thankfully, for this part of the country, it's been a very quiet hurricane season. No hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico. Is MEMA always at the ready for the potential of storms coming ashore? Absolutely. I don't know if you heard me tap on this wooden desk when you said it's (laughs) been very quiet thus far. But yes, to answer your question, we are always ready. Now, during the hurricane season or during the time that hurricanes are typically going to be, be most prevalent, uh, we go to a, a little bit of more of an elevated state, if you will. I mean, we're in the ready blocks. We're now coming out of the stretching part. We're in the blocks ready to go if we have to, uh, but but we are. And to that, we want the public to remain vigilant and be aware. But, yes, we, we do. But, you know, the Emergency Management Agency here in Mississippi, I mean, we, we are the coordinating agency to working with other agencies in the event of any disaster. Um, tornadoes, flooding. Um, this agency had to work very closely with Homeland Secure Office of Homeland Security last year when the plane crashed. So we're always ready and prepared to respond to to whatever. Because tornadoes are always a concern in the oh, state. Absolutely, they are. You know, we just had one that hit the the city of Madison last weekend. Uh, it came out; it was a very short duration storm, but it did cause a lot of damage and affected a lot of homes over there in uh, in Madison. What is your relationship with the individual communities or counties along the coast, their emergency management agencies, in coordination for response and getting supplies here and there? Yeah. So I have had the uh, good fortune. One of the things that I set out to do when I took this job was to go out and meet with all of those uh, those county uh, agencies and their respective directors. And I just uh, just a week ago finished my rounds and meeting with all of them. So we're there to support them. They are going to be the the manager of their emergency response in those respective counties. And we're there to provide them backup and support. Um, certainly become a coordinating agency in the event of a multi-county event, but um, their role is absolutely critical to emergency response in the state of Mississippi because uh, they are where the rubber meets the road as far as the initial response, and we're there to support them, and I consider my relationship with them to be good and 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 we'll work hard to make sure that we have a strong, close relationship. Our listeners are hearing me call you Colonel Michelle. Tell us about yourself well, and being a colonel. Well, I am my, I am Greg now, but thank you very much. Uh, I've served uh, for 30 years in the military and uh, was very proud of my uh, level of service and spent uh, the majority of that time uh, as an active duty with the uh, Mississippi National Guard and uh, very proud of that service. Fine organization, both on the Army and the air side, and I'm just privilege to have served with all those great men and women. Tell us more about yourself and what your vision is for the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Well, my vision for uh, the Emergency Management Agency is for us to continue to be, you know, a responsive agency. And I will ensure that we have very close relationships with all of my brother and sister agencies here in the state of Mississippi. Um, It's very important that we have and continue to have good relationships with our counties. I want to be the agency that is there to respond to their needs Uh, We want to continue to educate the public and uh, being prepared not only for those things that we've been accustomed to, but to be prepared for those things that we're not accustomed to. You know, we we live in a very changing world. Uh, There's a number of different types of threats and the weather patterns, you know, they change. We see things happening at certain times of the year that we 
haven't always been prepared. So I want my agency to be prepared to respond to those things that we may not always be accustomed to, and I want to make sure that we educate the public to do the same. Colonel Greg Michelle is the new director of MEMA. And, Greg, thanks so much for coming in and talking with us. Thank you so much for having me here. Colonel Michelle will join Governor Phil Bryant and Harrison County Emergency Management Director Rupert Lacey today at 1 o'clock to remember Katrina and encourage emergency preparedness. Coming up, we'll learn how big storms are affecting the Mississippi shoreline. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi shoreline holds valuable clues to the strength of storms past and the effects of those that could come in the future. That's according to coastal geologist Jessica Polarczyk. The assistant professor of marine science at the University of Southern Mississippi says the coast and barrier islands are vulnerable to storm surge and possible deteriorating land due to hurricanes and other factors. She tells us more. We've learned that all of these events, from a scientific point of view, they actually carry a lot of really valuable information. And so what a lot of coastal geologists or just coastal scientists in general will do is they'll go to the coastline impacted quite soon after on a major event um, like a hurricane, and they'll measure certain things like how high the water reached. So what is that flow depth? Um, How high were those storm surge waves? How far inland did the actual storm surge penetrate? those sorts of things. The other thing that's really important is actually the sedimentary deposit that's left by hurricanes. And so as a hurricane is tracking through the Gulf of Mexico and about to hit shore, it's actually entraining a lot of marine sediment. And it's moving that on shore. And then as the storm surge hits inland, it's depositing those sediments. And those sediments actually contain a lot of clues that are useful for us geologists in understanding the paleo record. So the record of storms that have happened in the past that we don't really have any observational record of. And so by using deposits um, that are associated with Hurricanes Camille, Hurricanes Katrina, we basically have a better handle on the intensity and the frequency of storms that have impacted the northern Gulf of Mexico. Well, going back to Camille and Katrina, for which you have records, do they help you at all in not predicting a future storm, but predicting perhaps the damage that may come as a result? They definitely do. Well, for people living here, they definitely consider Camino and Katrina as, as the worst case scenarios. But the problem is, is that with the observational record, and by that I mean storms, we've actually been able to measure the wind speeds, understand the inundation distances of the storm surge, or things that have happened in historical past where there's written records. That's actually a very narrow snapshot of time. So we can't rely on just those few decades or few um, centuries of records to really understand the full variability of storm impacts that we can experience here in Mississippi. The information you collected on Katrina, for example, does that help you at all retroactively? Yes, it does, because it represents a modern analog. So basically, the long-term records are based on sedimentary deposits that are left by storms. And when we have a modern analog like Katrina or Camille, and we understand those sediments, We understand what a Category 5 storm looks like, what a Category 3 storm looks like. And we can then use those modern analogs that we have such a wealth of information for to interpret the older records where we don't have an observational account. 
Does the geographical makeup of the ocean floor and the shore on the Gulf Coast make an area predisposed to being damaged more acutely by a hurricane? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of geomorphic features associated with the northern Gulf of Mexico, Mississippi um, in particular, that make it more susceptible to hurricanes. While it doesn't influence at all um, the generation of hurricanes, um, it certainly will enhance the impacts we're feeling. The Gulf of Mexico is quite shallow, and the coastline actually of Mississippi is very low-lying. The low-lying nature of the Mississippi coastline means that any kind of storm inundation, even if it's not from a very big storm like Katrina, can inundate that much farther and impact that many more homes and buildings and hospitals and whatnot. The other factor is that just offshore of the Mississippi coastline are these barrier islands. Um, While they're really nice to have, they also basically act as a buffer. So the storm, as it's tracking through the Gulf of Mexico, is going to encounter those barrier islands first. And they act as basically a wall, sort of minimizing the damage that the mainland Mississippi coastline will feel. This has become obviously a problem. As a lot of Mississippians know, the barrier islands aren't doing so well. And they're certainly being damaged by all of these storms, the large storms and the smaller storms. So for those two reasons, the low-lying coastline and these barrier islands and the health of them actually is making Mississippi particularly vulnerable to coastal hazards, including hurricanes. You mentioned the shallow water. How does that impact a hurricane's movement or its effect on land? There's a lot of water that can be pushed into the coastline. If it's a hurricane um, that is generating a large uh, storm surge, as it's moving and pushing water on land, it can actually make the storm surge that much higher. So we saw this actually in Bay St. Louis. Bay St. Louis had one of the highest recorded storm surges that we've ever heard of. It was unprecedented during Hurricane Katrina. And part of it was the shallow nature of the approach leading up to Bay St. Louis. And then certainly all the funneling of that volume of water into the bay. Those are the reasons why the storm surge was so high in that area. What are some of the efforts that can be made to protect? I mean, you mentioned the barrier islands, and maybe this is a dumb question, but is there any possibility of building man-made islands to protect the shore? There's long-term solutions and there are short-term solutions. And the biggest thing is that our barrier islands are really susceptible to storm surge impacts, in part because of the sea level rise that they're experiencing right now. Sea level rise is not good, especially the accelerated sea level rise. And so what that means is that the barrier island is less able to withstand these hurricane impacts. A lot of the dredging activities that are happening offshore, the changes in sediment patterns because we're basically pouring concrete on a lot of our mainland areas is interrupting how sediment is being transported in the nearshore environment. And that means that it's cutting off sources to the barrier islands. So it's losing its ability to grow by sediment, and it's also losing its ability to stay as it is right now because of sea level rise. So climate change is a big issue. Sea level rise is directly related to a warming climate. And so that's a bit of a a long-term solution that needs to be addressed right now. But in the short term, there's things that can be done with a barrier island. So for Mississippians who've had the opportunity to head out to Ship Island, they'll notice that there's a really nice boardwalk when you dock from the ferry and then head to the beach. And in part, that's meant to be for safety, safe travel from the ferry to the the nice beach over there. But it's also meant to protect the barrier island. The vegetation on those islands is key right now to the barrier island's survival. That vegetation has roots that anchor in that sediment and don't let it go anywhere. 
But when hurricanes come through or people start walking on these barrier islands and disrupting that vegetation, it makes it really susceptible to erosion. So when the vegetation goes away, that will accelerate the end of the barrier islands? Absolutely. And that's why hurricane impacts are particularly bad on barrier islands. They're not very high in elevation, these islands. And so usually if there's any sort of moderate to high storm surge, they're going to cover the island completely. And a lot of the vegetation, the trees with those really nice, robust roots get damaged by the marine inundation. They don't like the salt water. And if they spend too much time in the salt water, as they would in storm surges like Hurricane Katrina, that persisted for quite some time, they get salt burn and they eventually die. A dead tree isn't going to anchor in that sediment as well as a living tree. And so that's another problem is that these barrier islands are just getting damaged from all different angles and it's really hard for them to keep up. Does the evolution of technology significantly affect your abilities in gathering information and discerning, you know, evaluating information? It certainly does. I think I'm a geologist, so I spend most of my time digging in the dirt and looking for clues geologically. But a lot of the new advancements in terms of models of storms, models of storm surge inundation, um, is becoming increasingly important in the work that I do. I pair up with modelers quite a lot and their advanced techniques. And basically where the geology falls short, the modelers pick up. And where the models fall short, the geology picks up. So it's a really great collaboration um, to really understand these storms a lot better. And those models are only getting better and better as the technology improves. Jessica Pilarczyk is a coastal geologist and assistant professor in the Division of Marine Science at the University of Southern Mississippi. Thank you so much. Really interesting information. My pleasure. Thank you. Coming up, the Mississippi Commissioner of Higher Education speaks on his statewide listening tour. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Go to Janet in Starkville, Mississippi. Good morning. I need a second opinion on something. I was put on a statin, which I'm having side effects. My good cholesterol is extremely high. It's 143. Right. Right. Ooh, that's really high. Your HDL is 143. And my LDL is 108. What we would do is do a risk assessment. So there's a risk calculator that calculates your risk in the next 10 years of having a heart attack or a stroke. If that number is less than 8% risk in the next 10 years, you don't have to be on a statin. With that HDL being that high, that's a great thing. I, you know, I, don't, I would certainly you know, have a discussion about whether or not you needed that statin at all. If you'll go online and just look for um, ASCVD risk calculator, that's ASCVD risk calculator, And there will be one that pops up. You put all the information in, and if that number, again, is less than about 8%, you don't have to take that statin. Really, you know, we've shifted away from cholesterol management to to risk uh, reduction. So it's the risk reduction for a heart attack or a stroke as you get older. And um, uh, certainly some things that you can do with diet and exercise. She's right about that HDL, though. HDL is very hard to manipulate up or down. Exercise does help. There are some other medications that don't decrease the risk of a heart attack or stroke, but they will you know, get your HDL a little bit higher. Um, uh, but uh, most of that is determined genetically. 
And it sounds like she's got great genetics. I mean, the higher, that's that's pretty much the, one of the higher uh, HDLs that I've ever heard of. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the MyBlue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's Commissioner of Higher Education is traveling to campuses around the state. MPB's Alexandra Watts reports on his stop at a Delta University. On a late Friday morning at Mississippi Valley State University, audience members are speaking to Al Rankins, the Commissioner of Higher Education for the Institutions of Higher Learning. This Delta conversation is just one stop on his tour of all Mississippi's public universities. Rankin says listening allows him to lead. I believe in meeting people where they are, and in order for me to be an effective leader of our system, I need to hear from and meet with the individuals that serve every day within our system. Concerns range from funding to quality of education. The room is full of students and staff, as well as community members like Lula Moore, a former Valley student and educator from Greenwood. I pray that we can save our programs in teacher education and expand program offerings. MVSU graduates are very concerned about the state and status of this university. This is where we started from. It provided us with the foundation that we have, our first degree. Morris currently chapter's president of her local Parents for Public Schools. Rankins was named commissioner in March. He was previously president of Alcorn State University. Alexandra Watts, MPB News. The next stop on the tour is University of Southern Mississippi on Thursday, August 30th and Friday, August 31st. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Did you miss part of the show today? Go to mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.